Well, this morning is about reminding. It's about reminding and it's about remembering. I wonder what you have forgotten this week. Maybe you made it out the house and you realize, I don't have the keys. Or perhaps you made it to the store and you realize, I don't have the list. Maybe you made it back from carpool and you realize, I don't have the kids. (laughs) One of the things that people can be trusted to do is to forget. I mean, it's astounding how easily forgetful we are. And we know that we are easily forgetful. One of the greatest evidences for this is if you were to search in your app store, please don't do this now, but if you were to search in the app store, just reminders, literally hundreds. Uh, I spent more time this week looking (laughs) at literally hundreds of options for reminder apps. Uh, What does this say about us? I think at one level, it says that we assume and we know that we are going to forget things. And so we make provisions so as to be reminded of things we shouldn't forget. And yet a sad reality is while we know this to be true in our daily lives, when it comes to our spiritual lives, We're not so convinced that we are forgetful. In fact, it could be argued that it seems as though we assume the opposite about ourselves. You see, in our spiritual lives, we're prone to think that because we have learned something new, at some point in time, then we won't forget. But the fact of the matter is that we are forgetful. To quote the theologian who's already been quoted today, Jay Popovich, we are a leaky people. I don't even know if he's ever said that. But we are a leaky people. We forget what God is like. We forget what God has done. We forget uh, even what we heard last week. And what Matt prayed for this morning, we forget that he has given us literally everything we need for life and godliness. We forget that we are to diligently apply ourselves to see these virtues increasing in our lives. We forget that this life has an expiration date. We forget that which is most valuable to us. And it may be lost on us this morning that we are forgetful people about the most important things, but it wasn't lost on Peter. It wasn't lost on Peter as he takes up this all-important ministry of reminding in our passage today. How would Peter encourage these early Christians? And how would he encourage us today To hold on to the truth in the midst of a culture that readily accommodates falsehood. What would Peter say that would encourage these Christians 
to not go the way of new and novel, but to remain faithful to the old, old story. Peter was imprisoned in Rome. As an elderly man, he hears how there are false teachers in the churches that are passing themselves off as apostles. They're labeling their falsehood as truth, and they're using their distorted teachings to justify a self-centered, a self-indulgent, morally unrestrained kind of living. And Peter is concerned. He's greatly concerned that these Christians will be taken captive by new and novel, that they will be led astray, will succumb to the false teaching, and in doing so, in order to grab onto that, we'll lose grip of the truth. The phrases that I just used to describe Peter's day and the audience that he was writing to could easily be said of our day. A culture that readily accommodates falsehood. People passing themselves off is having authority of God, labeling falsehood as truth, and using distorted teachings to justify self-indulgent, morally unrestrained kind of living. And so Peter reminds these Christians, I trust that these reminders will serve us this morning, how to not lose our grip on the truth. And he does it, not through new and novel. He does it, through the faithful ministry of reminding. And I just want to say before I pray this morning, if you have a tendency to grow bored with truth, to grow bored with faithful, to grow bored with old, old story, I just pray that the Spirit and kindness would speak to you this morning. There's nothing boring about truth. There's nothing boring about old and faithful. In fact, standing the test of time speaks to its validity. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us remember. Use this time together in your word to stir our hearts to be reminded. And may we come to treasure the reminders. Oh, keep us from demanding that you give to us new. Teach our hearts to treasure truth and to appreciate those that are faithful with it. And not only grow an appreciation for others that are faithful with it, God, help us to become protectors and promoters of that age-old truth. And so would you speak to us this morning through your word? Would you allow us to behold Christ? And I pray that you would do that by making the heard sermon far more effective than the preached sermon. For your glory we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you this morning to continue your worship. And that's not just the throwaway line that we use oftentimes. It's easy sometimes to think worship equals singing. And so when singing stops, that maybe worship has stopped, but it doesn't. We worship through singing. We worship through uh, sitting under the preaching of the word and responding rightly to it. And so the invitation before you now is not to stop worshiping. The invitation before you now is to feast on the sufficiency of our God in and through his word.
And friends, when we do that, we worship. And so if you have your Bibles, open with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, if you're unfamiliar with where 2 Peter is at, if you just want to go to the very end and slowly make your way back a few pages, you will find 2 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1. 1 is the large number, normally at the top corner of your Bible. And the smaller verses, uh, the smaller numbers uh, will be the verses. So we'll be in chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And I hope with our time that we will consider two realities that I believe are clear in this passage. Two realities that Peter will call us to this morning as a means by ensuring that we don't lose grip on the truth and we, uh, we do stay faithful. So, two realities. First reality this morning. Number one, Christians need to be reminded of truth. Christians need to be reminded of truth. If you were here last week, then you will remember we covered verses 3 through 11 the week before, verses 1 and 2, with an overview uh, of this whole letter. And so it's just helpful for us to know this morning that everything that Peter has said for the last 11 verses, he will not allow that to escape our minds. How do we know that Peter is fighting to ensure that what he has already said stays connected to what he's about to say, the very first word in verse 12? Therefore... The therefore of verse 12. And if you even look in verse 12, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. These things and the therefore look back to the first 11 verses. And so Peter is declaring that the subject matter from verses 1 through 11 are vital to this ministry of reminding. The things that he has covered in these 11 verses, they're, they're paramount to ensuring that we do not fall away from the truth, that we're not swept away by falsehood. And it's vital because what needs to be repeated are these essential truths of the Christian life and the core message of the Christian faith about how one who is sinful is able to be made right before a holy God. And in light of being made right before a holy God, how one who is now redeemed how they then live out in that identity. And so Peter has said, just think about what he's already said in these first 11 verses. Peter has said that being made right with God requires a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1. And how do we receive that? By the righteousness of our God and Savior. And it's at that moment when we receive a righteousness that Peter tells us that we're We're born again. We're born again. And at the moment of being born again, verse 3, we are given everything we need for life and godliness. And so Peter is literally going to overwhelm his listeners in the audience to just think and to drink deeply about all of the riches that come from belonging to Christ. You can't exhaust them. If you were to even go back and read 1 Peter chapter 1, and Peter just chronicles this this beautiful picture. It's it's as if Peter just sort of opens the, the, the top of the treasure chest of riches that are in Christ. And he just begins to pick up all of the riches, and he's saying, look, feast. Feast on everything that Christ has done. 
I want to say a word uh, to those of you who are not yet Christians. You're not a Christian. Perhaps you don't even know where you stand with the Lord. It would be easy for you at this point to say, okay, so Peter is writing to these Christians. And so this is going to be a message that's largely not considering me. And if that's where you're at this morning, I just want to say that's a wrong perspective to have. Instead, this is meant to be in many ways almost like the car, uh, the showroom of a car lot. Not that we're trying to sell you something, but whereby listening to the word of God, you would be able to see the goodness of this God. The word puts it all on display. And so I pray that you would see that this is an invitation for, for you. Those of you that are curious about the Christian faith, this core message of truth as to what God has done, that's the basis for everything else. And so if you're going to understand what Peter is saying about how we are to make sure that we don't lose grip on, on truth and begin to be swept away by falsehood, then you have to understand what base, what roots all of Peter's message. And it's, it's, it's in verse 1. Receiving a faith... By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Humanity was made for a world that's marked by loyalty and unity and fellowship with the God who created us. But sin, not just someone else's sin, though it was someone else's sin that sort of set the decay in motion. The sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. But your sin as well, sin has utterly destroyed that. Disease, death, pride, and injustice comes in and it separates us. And at that separation, we see this in in the early chapters of Genesis. Adam and Eve, man is separated from God. They're banished from his presence. And it begins this search, it begins this reality that this world as we know it, it's not our home. This isn't what we were created for. When we turned from God, we were alienated from God. We were alienated from one another. We were alienated from even knowing ourselves. And so this life is seeking to answer the question, how in the world do we get back home? If you're not a Christian this morning, I, just, I want you to hear, this place is not your home. It's not your home. And one of your gravest mistakes would be living for this world as though it is. To, to not consider what comes after this world. And there's no hope in us, but in love, Jesus Christ left his home. And he walked closely with his God. And then he's killed on a cross. And his death on a cross wasn't for any sins, any penalty, any reward for what he deserved. His death on the cross was in the place of deserving sinners. He takes the place of any who would turn from their sin and would trust in this message about him. And so he's cast out so that undeserving sinners might be brought in. He rose from the dead to show that he is the only one who's trustworthy to follow because everything that he says is true. And there's no one with more power than him. Friend, this world is not your home. And if you go to your grave still in your sin, you will meet that same intense hatred of sin that God has. 
And the good news this morning and what Peter is reminding these Christians of is that doesn't have to be what you experience. If you would humbly let go of living life as you want to and submit to living life as he designed. If you would humbly confess that you are a sinner, you can't get your way back to God and so you are throwing down your efforts and you're trusting in the work of Jesus alone. If you would confess that, if you would believe that, if you would turn from sin and trust in that, then you can know this grace. You can know what it's like to be welcomed home. If you have questions about that, if you don't know where you fall in light of that message, it would be the joy of anyone in here to speak to you further about it. And so I just plead with you on the front end. Now, Christian, this isn't for you merely to watch and watch all of this truth go by. This is for you to, to find, much like the jump rope. You find, you find, you find, jump in and trust and believe. And once this, once this new life where we're given everything pertaining to life and godliness happens, what does he do? He gives us precious and magnificent promises which make us partakers of the divine nature and ensure that we're going to escape corruption. And in light of all of that, Christians are called to diligently supplement their faith with good works. And we saw last week that whenever Christians diligently apply themselves, they supplement their faith with good works, they're not working to get something, they're working from something. They've been given something. They're evidencing something. Whenever that happens... We will, keep, or we will be kept from being unfruitful or useless. This will help our assurance. And in the way that Peter ended last week in verse 11, whenever Christians do that, they will receive this rich, warm reception into glory from Christ himself. And so in light of all of that, Peter says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Though you already know them and are even established in them, remind people of what they already know? Why? Why would anyone do this? I mean, this is a man who literally doesn't have many more words to speak. Why in the world would you just rehash something that they already know? Because they fail to act on what they already know. He's exhorting his listener to avoid the error of the false teachers. And that phrase, I'm reminding you of what you already know and you're already established. And that phrase, I believe, is meant to encourage them because they do know. They do believe. But it's also meant to push them, to exhort them not to move away from it. Being established in the truth that they knew was critical if they were going to face the gale force winds of persecution and false teaching. And so what's clear is that this letter is for established Christians. It's not just for beginners. And so if you've been walking with the Lord for 40 years, you need 2 Peter. It's for those who have been established. Peter is committed to reminding these Christians of the truth that they know and, and that they are established in. Not to just to remind them once. What's he say in verse 12? Always. I will always be ready to 
remind you. Peter is that guy who every time you get around, it's like, did he forget that he's already told me this? And Peter is saying, no, no, no. It's with great intent that I repeat the truth to you. The continual nature of the reminder reinforces the value of the truth that's needed and the value of what's at stake. Truth is at stake. Eternity is at stake. Christians constantly need to hear about their need for holiness. Christians constantly need to hear about the inspiration of the scriptures. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. Christians constantly need to hear about the dangers of false teaching. That's chapter 2. Christians constantly need to hear the reality of judgment and the return of the Lord. That's chapter 3. Peter says, I've got a few dying words left, and I want to remind you what Christians need to be reminded of. Peter says that, that what he's going to continually remind them of are these things which they know. Truth has a tendency to leave the human mind. And so Peter commits with his dying breath to a ministry of reminding I mean, time seems to have a corrosive effect on what we know. And in view of what they already knew, Peter declares, not just that I'm always going to tell you this. Look at what he says in verse 13. I consider it right to keep reminding you. It's not just I'm always going to do it, but it's right to always do it. I mean, false teachers have come in and they're saying new and innovative things. And so there is a mounting pressure for Peter to be able to encourage these to to match or to surpass new with newer. Is that not the temptation of of even us today? Thinking about people that need the truth and how the world is so so molding a, a message to them. And we're thinking, well, I'm sure they know this, but they're being taught this. And so now what else can I tell them? And Peter, in the face of the mounting pressure of hearing new and innovative, to not match new and innovative with newer and more innovative, Peter doubles down on his commitment to the old same thing. This was right because Peter had heard Jesus. You remember Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus made the declaration? To make disciples as you're going, baptizing them, And teaching them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Friends, reminding is a gracious act of teaching. It teaches. When teaching his students about justification, being made right with God, when teaching his students about justification by faith alone, Martin Luther was asked a question by one of his students. The student said, Dr. Luther, why in the world are you teaching us justification by faith alone for the 20th time? And Luther replied, because you didn't get it after the 19th. It's dangerously easy to lose truth. New ideas come along. We begin to feel the pressure to not insist on a rigid truth. We want to be lax. Uh, We can give a little bit here and there because it's always easier to allow more than to allow less. And this is the other reality is that it is the tendency 
There's a lurking pressure in the human heart to find a worldview that justifies the way that you're living and to say, this is right. To find a worldview that justifies how you're living so that you never have to bow to truth, you get to be the the determiner of truth. And so, friends, we are being bombarded every single day, moment after moment, all throughout every single day, by our culture's virtues, by our culture's biases, by our our culture's worldview. And so let me just say this. If you hear this sermon and you're listening and you're thinking about your need to be reminded, if you don't think that you need to be reminded of the truth every day, then you are very close to losing it. If you don't think you need to be reminded of the truth every day, you are more close than you realize to losing it. Kevin DeYoung put it this way, the only thing more difficult than finding the truth is not losing the truth. The only thing more difficult than finding it is not losing it. And this is what he says, what starts out as new and precious becomes plain and old. What provokes one generation to sacrifice with passion becomes for the next generation a cause of rebellion and apathy. What begins as new discovery turns into rote, boring exercise. Friends, we need to be reminded. And this has major significance for us this morning. Even in what we're doing as a church, even what we're doing right now, Christians need to be reminded of the truth. Perhaps you've been visiting Covenant Life and you leave with this observation. It doesn't really seem to matter who is up there preaching. I feel like every week I show up, I hear the same message again and again. If you have thought that, I want you to know that is by intent. That is, that's by design that you are hearing the same message again and again. God's word presents to us uniquely truth found in the passage. The passage, every passage Jesus says points to me. And so we ought to be, when you show up, you ought to hear the particular truth out of a passage, but you also, you also ought to be able to see how that particular truth is pointing to Jesus. And when it comes to Jesus, we don't get to make up stories and we don't get to declare man-made messages about him. No, we are faithful to the story that is passed down one generation to another. The one that's been contended for, for all generations. The passage provides truth. That truth leads to Jesus. And the message that we need to hear, how we were created for God and how we rebelled against him. Friends, you need to hear that over and over. The message that we need to be reminded of, how our sins make us guilty and deserving of God's wrath, and yet how Jesus came to do what we could not do. And so whether you call Covenant Life Church your home or not, I just want to lovingly encourage you to beware of pastors and beware of churches and beware of teachers who give themselves to innovative and new at the neglect of the old, old faithful story. May the old, old faithful story of the work of God's grace in and through the person 
in the work of Jesus Christ. May that continue to arrest our souls until faith gives way to sight. Friends, look for faithful recounters of God's word. Not novel inventors for it. Why is, why is it that people who grow up in the church are less articulate and less excited about their faith than newer Christians? May that not be so. May we not grow old with, or bored with truth. May the ones who grow up with creeds and confessions not be bored by them. The chief task of the church in the West is not to reinvent, but to remember, to be reminded. To be reminded of the truth that sparked reformation and revival and regeneration. And I hope that each week you come here, you find that you are being reminded yet again. I hope that the next time you walk the halls upstairs of our Covenant Life Kids ministry, you think just 60 years from now, if some of those children are still in this city, may this church be a place that hasn't given itself to reinventing truth, but who stayed committed to just reminding one another of truth. For the good of our souls and this generation and for the good of the next Mark Dever said, committing to a diet of preaching in a church that prioritizes truth is more important than any physical diet you could take up. Don't send me an email talking about your health issues and how you need to diet. <laughs> diet that way. But he goes on to say, churches that aren't tossed about by fads and doctrine are those churches that are committed to being regularly reminded of the truth. I pray, I've just prayed this week that God in grace would protect this church. That he would protect her now, but he would protect her for years to come. That we wouldn't grow old. We wouldn't grow bored with, yeah, we're going to grow old. And I pray that we would grow old clinging to truth. But this not only informs what we need to think about as, as far as receiving, but it also informs what we need to be giving, right? So if you're a Christian, this should be what you're looking for to receive, but it also should be what you're thinking about in order to give. Friends, preach the truth to one another. Share truth with one another. And Matthew 28 will, will tell us not just to share truth with your Christian friends and your church family, but share truth with those that are not yet believers, those that are far away from the Lord. I, I, I pray that you would understand your ministry on your, in your neighborhood to be a ministry of reminding people of truth. I pray that you would understand your ministry, not just in your neighborhood, but to the nations as being reminding people of truth. So if you go back to the neighbor's house, you don't have to come up with a new story. Keep reminding people of the truth. This is your job description, church family. I pray that the ministry of reminding would mark all of us. And so I just want to ask this morning, what resources do you have laying around that you're not using to remind people of the truth? 
How are, how are you leveraging the things that you have? So as to keep you from faithfully reminding people of the truth. Both your church family and those that don't know the Lord. Allow the Spirit to search your heart for those answers. Speak of this to others. Be diligent. Look at what he says in verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Be diligent. Make every effort. Earlier in in verses 5 and 10 of chapter 1, Peter told them to be diligent. Now he's saying that diligence that I've asked of you, I am going to give in reminding you. I pray that Covenant Life Church will make every effort to tell people of the truth. And what that means then is not just somehow this church is going to begin doing that. I pray that that, that I and I pray that you specifically would make every effort to remind people of the truth. I pray that this would be even more our priority in 2021. I pray that we would be diligent. I pray that that would, be the, that would be a mark of this church. And so I want to ask, how are you doing at reminding? And maybe the first domino before you ever have a fruitful ministry of reminding would be, how are you doing at remembering? You will not remind others of things that you don't remember yourself. Is it a treasured practice for you to remember or to be reminded of the truths you already know and are established in. And if you're failing at this, if you're failing at remembering, if it's been so long, you, can't, you would even be embarrassed to say the last time I tried to remind anyone of truth about who God is, you would just be embarrassed if that got put up on the screen for everyone to see. If you're failing at that, I just want to remind you, the gospel about what Christ has done to make us right with God, that's the gospel that you need. You need it because there's a grace for your sin and there's also a power, a provision for you to walk differently in the days ahead. There's a grace because his His work has covered your sin, but there's a provision in that His Spirit now lives in you and through you. Friends, don't quench His Spirit. Seek to be faithful. This is what we believe. We believe that the Bible is true. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that sinners are, uh, we are sinners by nature. We believe that we're forgiven at the cross. We believe that he raised from the dead. We believe that we are justified by faith. We believe that we must show our faith by good deeds and holy lives. We believe that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We believe that we should pray. We believe that we should read the Bible. We believe we must share this truth with others. We believe that hell is terrible. We believe that heaven is more glorious than we can ever imagine. We know that God is all in all, and we can't hear that truth too many times. We can't hear the gospel too many times. We need to be reminded. And that leads us to our last point, a.k.a. the second one. (laughs) Brevity of life compels urgency. 
brevity of life compels urgency. The ministry of reminding is important to Peter. He makes that clear. But in verses 13 and 14, we begin to understand why it's so important to him. In verse 13, he says, I consider this right, the reminding you, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. The word there for earthly dwelling, your translation may say body. The word literally in the Greek is, it's tent. And so he says, while I am in, as long as I'm in this tent, that's not a, an uncommon image in uh, Paul's writing, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Then in verse 4, For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. So this idea that the body is referred to as a tent. For those of you who are camping fans, you will understand this picture. For those of you who go on camping trips and it starts raining, like it did last weekend, we are thankful that tents are temporary and so easily able to be torn down. Right? Tents. What's that, what's that conjure up in our minds? Tents are temporary. Tents are weak. Tents are destructible. And as we age, guess what's happening? Our tent is getting all the more weak. I wonder this morning, are you aware of the temporary and the decaying nature of your tent? That's a legitimate question. Uh, that's a pressing question for students. Children, you're not even thinking about this. Students, high school, college students, you probably are thinking, yeah, like everything is all well with the body. And that probably won't change for a long time. And then you just start having conversations with people in their 30s. (laughs) And it turns depressing when you start talking to people in their 40s. (laughs) The decaying nature, the temporary nature of our bodies. Peter goes on to say in verse 14 that he knows that this laying aside of his tent is close at hand. What's Peter saying? He knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to die. And what he also knows is that he's not going to lose his inheritance. He's not going to be swallowed up in corruption. He's not going to lose his security. He's going to lose his tent. Friends, if you don't know Christ, you will lose it all. And for those of you that do, just a reminder as you yet again look in the mirror and see another example of a decaying temporary tent. There is coming a house that has been made not with human hands. Secure eternal, never-ending. When this old fleshly garment wears out, Christians don't go the way of corruption. 
Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, it's not just that he's absent with the body, but it's now that he's present with the Lord. The beauty of this corrupting tent is that it will soon give way to the treasure of our souls. And we will get him. Peter is aware that he is about to die. He has no false notions that somehow he's going to escape death. And he says that the the Lord Jesus Christ made that clear to him. He's probably in his 50s or his 60s writing this in a Roman prison in a day in which most people only live to, to be in their 40s. So he knows that he is on the, the back end of his life. The persecution that's taking place in Rome under Nero is intensifying. And, and tradition will tell us that, uh, this, that Peter was crucified upside down. And so do we know that, that the Lord speaks specifically to Peter while he was in prison to let him know that this was soon? Uh, we don't know that. What we do know is that Jesus did speak to Peter about his death in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now, he said this signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, follow me. And that's what church history tells us, is that Peter was crucified upside down for his faith, not wanting to be crucified right side up, saying he was unworthy to die the same death of his Savior. If the Lord told you this afternoon would be your last What would you devote yourself to for the next 24? Here's the crazy thing. It just might be. It just might be. And that brevity of life isn't meant to cause you to be paralyzed in fear. It's meant to compel you to be urgent with truth. It's meant to encourage you to leverage your life for that which matters most. The last grains of sand are falling through the hourglass of Peter's life, and that compels him to be more urgent with this work. I wonder how your awareness of the limited time you have can serve you to help improve the remaining time that you have. Psalm 39, verse 4. The psalmist says, Lord, make, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Why in the world would the psalmist want to know when he's going to die? Because it makes him responsible and it makes him a good steward of what he has left. Right? Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. So teach us the number of our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. The Bible makes clear that the fool acts as if he always has tomorrow. That's the way of the fool. This decaying tent isn't our final home, and considering that should compel us to urgency. Peter's not looking to retire. He's not looking to spend his final days collecting shells or touring parks or playing golf. And to be clear, there's nothing wrong with any of those hobbies. Nothing. 
in the Medford Prep this past week that went out, there was an article that was referenced by John Piper in which he says that the end of life serves as an opportunity to finish well. And he applies this to uh, those that are older in age. But I believe it I, I believe it's, can apply to those with terminal, terminal illness. Those who know that eternity is staring them in the face. A little bit closer, maybe, than others. And the reality is that this is for all of us. But this is what Piper says. Getting old to the glory of God means getting old in a way that makes God look glorious. It means living and dying in a way that shows God to be the all-satisfying treasure. So it would include, for example, not living in ways that make this world look like it's your treasure. Which means that most of the suggestions that this world offers us for our latter years are bad ideas. They call us to live in a way that would make this world look better. And when that happens, when we live in a way that makes the world look better, God is belittled. Church, let's not waste our lives. May the brevity of this tent compel us to be urgent with truth. What, just what would your life look like next week if the brevity of your life was ever before you and it compelled you to be urgent with truth? One missionary, C.T. Studd, said only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, God longs to raise up men and women, boys and girls, whose lives count for his glory on the landscape of human history. And those whose lives will be used in that way are those who treasure Christ above everything else and say, I want my driving ambition in life to spend my life declaring what he is worth. C.T. Studd is known for that quote, only one life which will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. He's also known for the quote about those that want to live within a sound of the church bells while he wants to live in uh, uh, the flames of hell, near the flames of, of hell. Talking about wanting to save and snatch people out of uh, an eternal reality apart from God. What you may not know about C.T. Studd is that C.T. Studd uh, was a wealthy British athlete, uh, English athlete. Um, had lots of money, came to faith, realized that the joy of Christ would just, uh, that his money would rival that joy, so he gave everything away. He then fell into an inheritance from his family, and he gave that all away. So C.T. Studd had no money to his name. He goes off to China, comes back to England, heads to India, and then came back to England and then headed off to Africa. During the last 13 years of his life, he saw his wife for one night because she was raising funds to support the work that he was doing there among unreached peoples. I'm not advocating that type of... Uh, that type of living arrangement. Uh, but it is a, an amazing picture. He faced a ton of resistance from the church. And when asked about it, this is what C.T. Studd wrote. We've decided on certain simple lines according to the book of God to make a definite attempt to render the evangelization of the world 
an accomplished fact. Too long, listen to this, too long we have been waiting for someone else to begin. The time for waiting has now passed. The hour of God has now struck. In God's holy name, let us arise and build. We will not build on the sand, but on the bedrock sayings of Christ. And the gates and the minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should such men as us live in fear before the whole world, before the sleepy, lukewarm, thankless, namby-pamby Christian world? He said namby-pamby. We will dare to trust our God. We will venture out for all, of, for all for his sake. We will live and we will die for him. And we will do it with his joy, unspeakable, singing aloud in our hearts. We would a thousand times sooner die trusting our Lord than living trusting in man. And when we come to our position, we realize that the battle is already won and the end of the glorious campaign is in sight because we will have the real holiness of God, not the, the sickly stuff of talk and dainty words and pretty thoughts. We will have a, a holiness that lasts, one of daring faith, and we will show that in our work for Jesus Christ. Friends, leverage your life for what matters most. Don't presume upon tomorrow. Remind people of the truth. You will not leave a legacy if your life is spent solely on trivialities. Give people eternal truth. And then you will leave a lasting legacy. And so if you knew that the end of your life were near, what would you say? Would you focus on the most critical and that which endures? If you would, then what are you doing now to speak those words? You want to tell people that you love them? Don't wait. Do it now. Do you want to warn people and point them to Christ you want to give an unabashed, unashamed declaration of eternal truth to your neighbor? Don't wait. May the brevity of life compel us to action. Truth will outlive us all. And because of that, let's remind one another daily of the truth that we need to hear. Let's pray. Kind God, merciful Savior, Lover of your people. I ask that as the word has put before us the need for us to be reminded and as the word has put before us the reminder that that life is brief. God, would you stir us up to not grow bored with truth and to not waste our lives on that which doesn't matter. And so I pray that you would speak to us now by your spirit. And I pray that in the speaking, there would also be an acknowledgement on our part where we need to seek forgiveness for being bored with truth or living for things that do not matter. May we see that as sin. And may we walk in forgiveness. So speak to us now. 
Show us what it looks like to walk in a manner pleasing to you. We're listening. In Jesus' name.